Kia ora, I'm Jenna. This episode of Asian and Aotearoa is a little bit different. Recently, I was invited to host an interview at Yolkfest, which is a fun, creative, pan-Asian event, and I recorded this there in front of a live audience. My guest is Amanda Grace Leo from episode one, and she's back to have an uncensored chat and reflection. Amanda is Kiwi Singaporean, Pranakan Chinese, an actor, jazz singer, face painter, and friend who is also writing New Zealand's first Asian cabaret. We talk about body stuff, pleasure, friendships, saying no, and big ang pao energy. Are we ready to roll? Yes, okay. In episode one, we discussed romance, sex, dating, fat phobia, connecting with our bodies, among other things. Mm. What, if anything, has shifted for you since that conversation? I think really rooting the experience I have in sex and in dating, I think with my fat body has probably shifted the lens for me, but also kind of recognizing that within like the scale of fat bodies, I would hold more like thin privilege than a lot of other people. So I can't really speak in a way for all fatness, Mm. but I think also what has shifted for me is still trying to detangle the relationship between fatness and capitalism and how, how do we, yeah, really honor our bodies. So, since, probably since that podcast, I've put on some weight. So it's been a really interesting journey of me trying to find a way to look at fitness and moving my body without buying into fat phobia. Mm. And it's really difficult because in every in every part of our lives, in terms of advertising, Les, you know, Lesmo's got their little uh, yes. Uh, what do they have? Their little diversity. You know, after you know the height of George Floyd. You know, they released all this stuff with personal trainers, like all the, they basically, to my knowledge, took out all their POC trainers and were like, we're going to take photos of you. Mm. And someone messaged me being like, isn't this amazing? And I thought, you know what? It's the fucking bare minimum. Yeah. And when I see a fat body on stage or visible, it really shifts the way I see myself. Mm. So, yeah, we can talk about diversity but we really do need to talk about the lack of representation in terms of bigger bodies and also how someone will put like a size 12 or 14 body and call that plus size. Yeah. So there's a great article that they, a critique on Lululemon actually coming out and how Lululemon has been able to shift the average size from like size 14 to size 10 because now size 12s and 14s are considered plus size. So therefore the average size goes down mm. as opposed to the average size actually reflecting the stats which says i think in the u.s the average dress size of a woman is between 14 to 18 that's a bit, bit of a rant but yeah <laughs> hey now's the time for the rants okay i sent you this instagram story so we've just had the new moon in aquarius mm-hmm. and i was listening to this other podcast and it was saying that this phase has been all about like being consumed with how we feel and So I don't know if if people have been feeling like, oh, there's a lot of shit coming up and how we hold and house emotions in our body. So I'm going with the idea of whether you mentally or intellectually are conscious of something, your body knows or is telling you things all the time. So my question for Amanda and for everyone here to consider is what might your body be telling you now? I think my body has been asking me to look at, look to find out ways that I like to move you know, to find out what are the ways that I like to move, whether that just be for exercise or for pleasure. So I was listening to a really great podcast recently called Decolonizing Fitness, because I don't know about you guys, but I have, you know, as I've spoken, I've got quite a difficult relationship with fitness 
weight loss. And they talked about reframing the way we move away from exercise per se and moving into the terminology pleasure. So this also encompasses sex, you know, the way we see sex, the way we yeah, consume exercise. So over the Chinese New Year period, I've been eating a lot. Yes. And I've been noticing that because I've been quite sedentary for the past couple of months, although I'm constantly running around, I think my body is craving movement. I want to learn how to move my body that isn't kind of based around my fatness, mm. but is based around something that I feel, whether that be dance or yoga or exercise. Yeah, and in terms of feeling, I think there's, I don't know, it, it's been a really interesting three months because we're in summer, you know, it's beach time. This is the other thing. I went to the beach the other day and I took a, a big Hong Bao energy bikini pic. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, I do real I did realize that I you know, I do love my body. But it's only in comparison when I don't, right? Yeah. And I think that yeah, the invitation has been how can I move my body in a way that's pleasurable and doesn't give in to fitness expectations. Yeah. So what things are calling you? walking yoga so I'm a big fan of yoga Uh, I've done a lot of kind of not work but I've I've done yoga on and off for three or four years thanks to Nathan Joe gosh you're sweating like a (laughs) (laughs) you're so (laughs) (laughs) usually that's me so I'm glad someone else is sweating okay yeah yeah the the idea of yoga has been really amazing for me because it's been a a it's not cardio because I fucking hate cardio but B, it's a way of tuning into uh, my own able body, I, I would have to put out. Yeah. In a way that, yeah, it, it's about, you know, centering myself. But the big shift that happened for me was I was going to a studio for two or, th- um, for two or three years in Newmarket. And right before lockdown, even though I'd been going to yoga, like semi-regularly taking breaks, I started feeling so fucking shit in the studio. And I was reflecting on the studio that I went to and I realized in the last two or three years before, it had been getting less diverse. So the first time I turned up at the studio, there was like, Nathan had dragged me along for hot Pilates and I was like, fuck, who wants to do hot Pilates? (laughs) No thanks. But he said to me, try it. If you don't like it, you never have to go back. So I thought, okay, it's one fucking hour. It's fine. So I went there and I remember there was like a young Indian family. There were people of all shapes and all sizes, different ethnicities. And when I walked into the studio, I thought, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be like, like slim, white, thin bodies. But then somehow in the last two to three years, it became less diverse. So right before lockdown, I was going into the studio, doing my practice, and then coming out feeling slightly good. And like maybe an hour later, I'd just start feeling shit again. Mm. And then then came the, the yoga wear. So I was really struggling to find active wear that fit my bust. And then, you know. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. You know. And yes. then at first it's like, okay, I'm not doing yoga to lose weight, but guess what? I'm going to lose weight so I can fit into these bras. Oh, I can lose weight so that when I do a certain posture, like my chair pose, I can look like everyone else because there's a mirror there. And then when lockdown happened, we couldn't go to a studio. We had to stay at home. There was, because I was doing it in my living room and there was no mirror. And that fundamentally shifted the way that I connected with my body because there was nowhere to look at my body visibly and compare it with anything, I really had to 
tune in to see wh what I felt in the pose. So it became about- Presence. It, yeah, it became about presence. And I think a lot of the time when we go to fitness classes, when we go to yoga classes with mirrors and the external bodies around, you just cannot help but compare yourself because that's what we're trained to do. Mm. On the scale of fatness, you know, I've more than privileged, but I'm often, I feel like the biggest girl in the yoga class yeah. or the biggest body. And so during lockdown, I really started thinking about decolonizing yoga. Like, A, yoga does not come from the West, but the West has appropriated yoga without giving back, like, to the Indian community. And we can I mean, start talking about cultural yes. Yeah. So, I mean, how many Indian yoga instructors do you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I know one. And she teaches at East West. Um, so then I took a big break from yoga um, for the last six months. And I recently came back to it again. And even though my body is really different, I feel like I can't actually do a lot of things that I could do. It really is that thing of, we need to celebrate how our bodies show up in the world. So how is our body showing up for whatever life? Now, as instead of like, oh, I'll celebrate when I'm like, I've lost this weight. Yeah, so or like, oh yeah, a year ago I could do a fucking crow and now I, you know, I'm struggling to even do my like high to low plank. Mm. So, we always are trying to beat our bodies into submission, whether that's by starving ourselves, by doing so much exercise to overcompensate how we eat. But we really don't ask in every minute, what does our body need from us? Or, you know, what are we not listening to? Yes. Hold that thought. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to bring up Sonia Renee Taylor because I usually do. It wouldn't be one of these episodes without me bringing her up. So yesterday, um, Sonia Ray Taylor wrote a book called The Body's on an Apology. And yesterday, if you're not following on Instagram, you definitely should. And yesterday she posted a video about getting bigger, getting bigger in the last 12 months. In a world that is obsessed about making us smaller, my question is, how have you gotten bigger? I think my career has started shifting and growing bigger with writing the first Asian cabaret getting money for that. But I also think that what I thought was possible for bodies, for all sorts of bodies has grown bigger. And in terms of like the conversations we're having around decolonization, the possibilities for POC, for bi POC and for diverse bodies, we're even talking about like non-able-bodied people has grown. But in the process of that, I feel like I've also had to make a lot of cuts. So Sonia talked about the cost of growing bigger. So while I think that what is possible for me to achieve and my community to achieve has grown bigger, it has also meant that I've had to sacrifice friendships or ways of being that no longer served me. Yes. And when I was doing this yoga video from the underbelly, so... Jessamine Stanley runs a lovely, um, a wonderful platform called the Underbelly Yoga. So she's she's plus size. She's I'm just gonna say she's fat. Yeah. Because we're reclaiming the term fat. Yeah. Um, she's black. She's queer. She's a big advocate for marijuana use as well. She runs yoga called the Underbelly, which I know has shifted the paradigm of what body is able to do yoga, like what type of body. So she had us lying down in Savasana, and she said, "Put your arms out." And she's like, take up space. Like our bodies were made to take up space. And I don't know how do you shrink your body in real life, but you know, in other areas of your life, but in this space right now, practice taking up space. You know, we all know that when we come, when we're othered, yeah. especially being POC, we're always trying to 
make ourselves smaller, yeah. make ourselves more palatable or make, to whiteness. Ensure all the white people have more space. Yeah, more space for them. Make sure we're not infringing mm. on anyone's space or anyone's discomfort. Um, what was the question? <laughs> About getting bigger. I think getting bigger doesn't just have to be like mm. physically getting bigger, but like for me in the past year, my capacity to feel and be open to new friendships has gone bigger. Mm. You know? I think, yeah, maybe for me it's the capacity to, actually it's the capacity to set my boundaries. Mm. It is yeah. the capacity to say, no, this doesn't work for me. No, I don't want you in my life. No, I don't want to live like, I don't want to live that way anymore. Yeah. And because I was always in a state of lack, of feeling like I needed, whether it was my white friends, I needed my Pakia friends, I needed my Pakia friend group, I needed to fit into a Pakia institution. All those things, that mindset of lack of like, because I'm other, I, I'm always going to be lacking. There is a limited amount of resource, so we all have to fight for it. But, you know, kind of starting to think, actually, no, it is our mindset of lack that is not allowing us to see the possibilities because we think, we always feel like we are competing. And it is true, we have limited resources in terms of money and funding. But once I got out of the lack mentality, it became easier to cut ties and draw boundaries. Yes. You know, so saying no. To say no. Mm -hmm. So yeah, actually what's helped me become bigger <laughs> is saying no, which is quite bizarre, I think, for me at least. Okay, so let's talk visibility. Yeah. Um, and some of your work sees you literally uh, on stage in the spotlight. Mm. Have you always been unafraid when it comes to being visible? Yeah, I think so. I was very lucky. I think I grew up in a very... Um, secure family unit. So I was born on the North Shore. I went to St. Joseph's Primary School. Um, my parents are Singaporean Chinese, Hainanese as well, and Puranakan. And the first nine years of my life in New Zealand, like to my memory, were, I was really secure. You know, my parents were together. They're very much that Catholic home unit. Um, so actually the first nine years of my life, I didn't really have a concept of race or ethnicity because my school was quite multicultural and we were really encouraged to express ourselves. And I think that's the thing, when you're in a, when you are in a secure environment, it does allow you to express yourself. Mm. And it was only when I moved, when my parents moved us all back to Singapore and under kind of like the Singapore conservatism, the education system and the conservatism, that's when the self-expression became an issue. That's when the idea of being a good, demure, slim Chinese girl was kind of imposed on me. Mm. Yeah, because I come from a Catholic family as well and I think the opposite not that they were discouraging but being humble and keeping your head down was a value that was instilled in me as a child do you think that's like culturally because culturally your parents had to do that in order to assimilate yes I do and also because my um, dad comes from a martial arts background so he's like old Chinese man who could probably kill you with your bare hands but he looks like he's very frail <laughs> so it's like very humble has been really instilled in me and so I'm just trying to undo that now like being in front of people makes me very uncomfortable well that's interesting because yeah I always hear I mean I hear a lot of different people's experiences of growing up like Asian in Aotearoa and feeling like they couldn't express themselves or like your poem about not being able to express rage or not being comfortable with your anger about you know the white supremacist system that we live in 
And strangely for me, I don't, I don't know what it was about, whether it was because we're middle class, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, but we were comfortable. We lived on the shore. The school was really diverse, but I was always encouraged to be the exuberant Leo that I am, awesome. you know, and I'm, I'm an extrovert as well. Yeah. But yeah, it was only when I moved back to Singapore that that all crashed and that was quite difficult. And I think, you know, like my father once said to me, you are an emotional eater and kind of linked you know, my weight gain with the lack of, of, without being able to, because I wasn't able to express myself. Mm, interesting. So I turned to 20 cent chocolate at the mama shop around the corner of my house. Yeah. Have you played the, have you played Reflex, the conversation card game before? No. Does anyone know what Reflex mommy? No, okay. Yes, yes. It's this conversation card game and there's this question, I was playing it with my friends um, a couple of weeks ago and one of the questions was, would you rather go without romance for the rest of your life or orgasms? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, okay, go. Would I rather go without romance or orgasms? Fuck it, I think I'm going to say romance, man. Orgasms are too good. I don't know, I really don't know. Hmm. What would you rather go? The person, um, so my friend actually... She said she would rather go without orgasms. Is anyone brave enough to like say what they would vote for? Would you rather go without romance or orgasms? Well, these kids look pretty young. Maybe you shouldn't ask them. I know. <laughs> would you? What would you rather? What would you rather? <laughs> Radley's keeping the old. Yes. Sam, keeping romance. Do you have to decide between both? Yes, it's, it's either or. Yeah. Well, you see, on one hand, I've been talking about pleasure, right? Yes. And I've been, yeah. But I also, I don't. I don't know, but I feel like it is it is in our cult like culturally Asians aren't that hedonistic per se. We're not so concerned I don't want to speak for all of us actually, but I don't feel like my family specifically is concerned with hedonism. So I really struggle with even though I love expressing myself and I love pleasure, I really struggle with this what I feel like is a Western relentless pursuit of pleasure in terms of like let's use everyone for sex yeah. let's mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. you know let's let's yeah use everyone for sex let's talk about it all the time even though i do <laughs> yeah. you know um but i'm at the point where i'm really asking myself so is this is this a cultural thing or a religious thing what am i saying if i say if i'm judging someone's hedonistic tendencies and do I hate hedonism because it is, I feel like it's rooted in individualism. Mm-hmm. And usually I often feel like the Western expression of hedonism or the pursuit of pleasure comes at a cost of other people around them. Mm. So that's what I really struggle with. And I, you know, like I've got a collaborator and a friend, Chai Ling Huang, who runs probably Asian theater. And I'm actually always jealous about how she can talk about sex in her work so publicly because I can't do that with my parents even though they're in Singapore so but, if my parents ever listen to this I will die I know I'm the same cut, they'll cut me off <laughs> for life but you know like the, 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 the privilege to be able to speak about sex so openly you know because her you know she's made she's made a whole like web series on her father you know and he was on Asian men her documentary Asian men talk about sex but that's culturally we're quite different mm. Like, my parents aren't Western or hedonistic in that way, so we don't talk about these things. I think we should, though. I want to talk about sex, and I know it was my brother here, so sorry. Um, <laughs> I think we do need to talk more about it. I think so. Yeah. And I think romance is really important to me, but if, if I have to live with myself for the rest of my life and romance is a given, 
I would actually fucking rather take the orgasms because that's something uh, that I can experience without anyone there. Mm-hmm. And I think we're always yes, can. <laughs> yeah, we're always looking to externalize our pleasure. So here, uh, this podcast I was listening to called Decolonizing Fitness. It was talking about kink and how kink. When you remove sex from play, it is a way of experiencing pleasure yeah. that is not centered in another person necessarily. It's centered on your experience of pleasure that doesn't have to result in sex. So for me, sex has always been about somebody else. It's about who am I having sex with, but it's never really... All external. It's all external. It's never really about who am I... Look, who am I sexually? Like, yeah. you know, I'm a cis, straight woman... But how do I want to experience pleasure? How do I want, if I could shape my sex life, what would it look like? Would it look like sex every day? Would it look like three orgasms every time? Yes, great. Yes, I mean, fuck yes. <laughs> See, now again, and yeah, yeah. Okay, fun. That sounds good. Okay. So I'm just in the, I think, like, I've had, I have had a lot of sex in my life, but I don't feel like I've had a lot of long-term partners to kind of figure out that trust to be able to push myself sexually. Yeah, so I hear about, like, my friend, one, one friend once said to me, fuck, yeah, seven times. And I was like, what the fuck? You came seven times? My max is three. Okay. And she still maintains, yeah. And But we so lack the confidence and the maybe the, the space to allow ourselves to push our body to its limits. And, you know, we talked about this the other day, like, feeling uncomfortable when guys give us head. Did we talk about that? I don't think that was me. But- <laughs> But keep going. Yes. So I had, a, I had a conversation with someone recently and we were talking about receiving head and we both went, yeah, we're not really sure about it. And because we're both, you know, we both identify as fat, I realized that it had a lot to do with my self-perception of my body because I having a man between my legs staring up like past my puku to me and like my double chin, all these things are going on in my mind, which means that I can't relax. Did I send you the TikTok of the guy who's like, sit on my face? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, even, yeah, when men are like, like sit on my face. Okay. Men are always like, sit on my face. I'm like, really? Okay. Yeah, okay, 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 okay. Yeah. We're, we are derailing. Sorry. Okay, sorry. I'm turning it into, hang on. talk about sex. Okay, so what kind of people would you like to attract at the moment? Oh, I want to attract people who are, considerate actually and I didn't think being considerate was such an important <laughs> hello bar was on the ground I know bar was on the ground I was like oh passionate but you know someone might be really fucking passionate but they might not be considerate considerate of others mm. and that's not going to mesh with my family you know and I was thinking about the other day of like what happens when I bring a partner home to my family like is it are they going to be able to understand that culturally everything you do has a ripple effect on everyone around you. They're going to have to change the way they live, that you can't always go off and do whatever you want sometimes. Like if you're coming home from Chinese New Year, yes, you have to attend the functions. Yes, you have to do things a certain way. Yes, you have to dress a certain way because I might be liberal, but my wider conservative family might not be. So yeah. there are customs. No, attending fucking family dinner is very important. Yes. Yeah. What else? Consider it. Uh, I do want someone that is driven. Mm-hmm. Driven in whatever it is. Whether it's, even if they don't know what they're passionate about, but driven in their curiosity to find what they are curious about, what they like to play. Um, and someone who's fucking clean. 
Because this, no, you know, I have no shoes in my house. And if I have to explain to another motherfucker why they can't put their shoes on my bed, or why they, oh, have, to shower, they, oh, or why they have to shower before they get into my bed. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't want to be someone's mom. Like, I don't want to pick up after somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't, I want someone who's going to, yeah, be considerate and who's going to help me share the load when I eventually do have kids. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be babying someone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if that sounds like anyone you know, please. Um, <laughs> this is just going to turn into a dating show. Um, okay, how has a perceived failure actually really served you? Uh, so I'll, I'll talk about this again, but I feel like quite recently in the last six months, I think stepping into my voice as an activist has really lost me a lot of my friends who are also in the same kind of woke circles but might not be comfortable speaking out. And I think every time every time I've spoken out, whether that's online or publicly, or message your friend saying, hey, this person that you know, or this thing that you like, or this thing you support is potentially quite problematic, I've always gotten tone policed. And these oh. are by like, these are not just like random people. I think it's really easy for us to go on our computers and you know, shoot down some random person whose view we don't agree with. But really the hardest conversations, and I don't I don't even think are our families. I think they are our friends. Mm. They are they are our people that we we rely on socially. Mm. You know, whereas kind of family you I think you've got a difficult relationship with family. Sometimes you can just be like, you know, you're not gonna accept my view because XYZ. But I think friends that are in the same circle with you that are potentially have very similar views. So yeah, I feel like I've lost actually quite a lot of my Pakia friends recently because they feel like I'm moving into a space where I'm too I'm too loud, I'm too vocal, I won't let things go, I'm inconvenient. And how, how has it served you? It has served, well, because I feel like I'm no longer having to make space for them and that I'm no longer watching what I say all the time. I'm no longer stressing about how am I going to put this through to them so they don't feel uncomfortable. It has opened up my life to new friends that instead of me having to watch myself, they're inspiring me. They're giving me energy, Yeah, you know, kind of like yourself. (laughs) But also, yeah, that's what I mean by cutting, like kind of, kind of distancing myself from people who I feel are at a certain they aren't on a live. Yeah, they're not on the level. And they haven't really changed since the last three or four years when we're having different conversations, you know. But it, it because I've let go of the things that don't serve me, because I was ending up spending, like, hours on the phone with my friends, like, complaining, feeling upset, feeling tone police, feeling angry. And I thought, this is all great stuff. But I also want to be in a space of creation. Mm. And I want to be surrounded by people who are, who are allowing my voice to inform uh, you know who, and champion you who are championing even me, if the if, yeah. even if the views are slightly different they're still for you they still want to see you flourish yeah the got, egos aside yeah that's the thing mm. I've, I've yet to have one of these parker friends turn around and say hey look i really disagree with you but i think it's amazing that you are stepping into your voice and being unapologetic and being unapologetic mm. about it and so now I'm really trying to surround myself with people who, even if they don't agree with me, can yeah, champion support and encourage me to use my voice in whatever way that I feel, whatever direction I feel like I want my voice to go. On your down days, how do you show yourself grace? Grace being your middle name. Ooh. 
Well, recently it has been allowing myself to feel, to allowing, accepting that sometimes being alone is hard. And when I mean being alone, I mean being alone in my house physically. Because I'm someone who usually likes to pack up my schedule and see like friends back to back. But I think that that's not so good for me anymore and I really need to refine the balance. So I think I've been allowing myself to sit at home alone, feel bad and say that's okay. Like it's okay that you're alone at home and you're not celebrating the fact that you're alone and you want to see people, but you're really trying to just sit. And then also to try to eat whatever I like. Because, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Describe what big unbow energy is to you. Oh, fuck. Big unbow energy is fucking feeling like you've just received like $1,000 in an unbow and you just want to, you want a rara. But I think it, it is being unapologetic about your body, what you feel, who you are. Having the courage to present even though you're not perfect. Yeah. And that's the thing, even though I put on 5kgs, probably I haven't weighed myself because that was a big thing that I wasn't going to weigh myself last year and this year. But yeah, I bought a really sexy bikini of... Yeah. No, 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 this was a different... What was it? It was one of those Shein. God, oh, God. The whole of, like, oh, God. She, yeah. You know, and I, I wanted to... Even though I wasn't as thin as I was last year, last summer, I really loved how I looked in it. And that is big unpower energy. That is big unpower energy. But also the parts of me, it wasn't, you know, the parts of me that I felt uncomfortable, I thought, well, you're never going to get comfortable unless you put yourself out there. And I know that's easy for me to say, I suppose. But I think when you see a bigger body celebrate their body unapologetically, it really gives, I think it gives other people permission to do the same. Yes. You know, and that's what I love about the activewear brand Hine Collection. They've got sizes from XS to 6XL. So, you know, usually you go on Lululemon websites and you're like, okay, what can I fit? That looks nice. Nothing, I'll buy a yoga mat. Yeah, you buy a yoga mat. Um, and then even, you know, where I'm wearing my, like, skinny activewear, I'm always thinking, I'm always comparing myself to the Lululemon models. But the difference was when I bought Hine wear, so this is a really great... Uh, brand run by Tangere Fenua. It's a wahine toa. Um, when I went to, when I went to, when I was wearing it and I went, okay, who can I compare myself to? I was like, oh, wait, there's like six different sizes to compare myself to. And all of them have a, t it's always the big girls at the front. Mm. And it completely changed the way that I saw myself in my active wear because the comparison was to more, you know, diverse bodies mm. as opposed to Skinny bodies. For me, big umpau energy is feeling the abundance. I'm going to go back to that word. Yes, I like it. Like if you had an abundance of love, an abundance of affirmation. It's like richness, generosity, and you're in a really good space to attract that too. That's sort of what I'm thinking. Yeah, and I don't want to like, it's not always a dichotomy, but I think, yeah, coming out of the mindset of lack has really helped me because... We always feel like, you know, romantically, there's no one around. Like, sexually, there's no one around. Opportunities are so limited for, like, you know, a fat Asian girl. If you no, they're screen, cutting those negative thoughts. cutting those. Okay. But, one, you know, once I really got into the mindset that, you know what, the world could be my fucking oyster, that really changed the way. I, I stopped making decisions motivated out of fear. Yes. And, that yeah, again, it allowed me to cut the bound cut people and things out of my life that I didn't need. Yay. Anyway. That yeah. sounds good. Okay, so this is the last one. Yeah. What will the Year of the Ox be about for you? Uh, focus, actually. 
So I've got a lot of things to do this year. And I think now that I'm starting to grow into my power, I really want to make more time for my spiritual practice. Mm. So that's kind of like connecting with my ancestors, my spiritual guides, because I'm kind of um, decolonizing my spirituality. So I was brought up Catholic. So my parents, like I could never light incense at the temple, could never fold hell notes. Um, tarot was a no-no. Psychic was a no-no. And so I've done all those things. Now, <laughs> yeah, now we're going we're Now going we're going in. full throttle. So um, Year of the Ox is about um, focus. So focusing my energy on areas that I really want to improve. And that actually is just more about focusing on the self more, more than romantically or anything else. I think I want, to f- I want to focus on my process. How do I do things in a mindful way? Because mm. I've spent a lot of years being quite rah-rah, being really happy. And, I, you know, when you're in your young 20s, you're just kind of like fucking doing anything except the poor sisters who are so, like, overachieving already. <laughs> Fuck. You know? But, uh, yeah, I want to I focus on process and making sure that every time I do something, I'm giving myself enough time to prep I'm giving myself enough grace and uh yeah I'm giving I'm allowing for more sleep in my life as well oh I like that Mm. okay those are my questions does anyone have a question for Amanda or I or comments or just want to say anything is this going to be really awkward and no one's going to say anything (laughs) oh there is one oh oh my god thanks (laughs) kia ora kia ora you spoke about setting boundaries and how that sets you free. It's something that I've been challenged with is letting people go. Say that again? Something I've been challenged with is letting people go. Oh yes, oh yes. How do you just take some hands over by or you stop talking to them or what's your approach? Would you like to to go and then, oh yeah. I think, this is the thing, I never sent anyone a breakup text. And it was just, it was more of kind of pulling away uh, but although some people I did have to say, I did have to, to, to communicate with them that I felt a certain way. So maybe like, for instance, I had a friend who's always in crisis, like something big is always happening and they get over one thing, you know, and they're, they're making, I guess they were making the same mistakes over and over, which is totally fine. But it had been like three years and I was kind of, over, and I guess my life was shifting because I was getting so busy, I didn't have as much time to go and like hold them. Mm. And so it was just, it's sometimes it's just a simple thing of saying, hey, I really care about you. I, you know, I don't want to see you make the same mistakes. This is how I'm feeling. I'm just feeling really overwhelmed, really overworked right now. So I can't give you the time that you need. I just need some space. Mm. So I, I mean, I don't know if that's a breakup text to you. But I think... For, Whatever that mode of communicating, it's, I think the, hard, the hardest thing to deal with is the guilt. Because even though we know that our time is limited and that you know, we, you know, we don't have energy to put that, when you, when you detangle, it's kind of like a breakup. And the worst thing, the, the harder thing is about friendships is that you never think you're gonna break up with a friend. Whereas a partner, I guess you always anticipate potentially one day you know, that is the reality. You're either going to be together or you won't be. But with friendships, it's not so much like that. Um, and for me, it was just trying to hold my ground while telling them I love them. Mm. But someone said, you know, if you only have one slot in your life for a friend that's you know, always takes your energy, who's that going to go to? 
instead of having like five slots, I cut it down to one person. I was like, okay, yeah, there are people in my life I'm always going to have to do a bit more labor for. But yeah, if only if I only had one slot, who's that going to go? Yeah, I, for me, I haven't sent a breakup to, have I done a breakup to his friend? No, but my, it's naturally happened over time. And I guess my, my thing is, and that I'm trying to learn myself, is to putting, putting myself first. And that goes to also say if there's something going on with a friend, I'm conscious of how much mental energy I'm giving to that, that, that friendship. Even if we're not talking, or we are talking, am I like thinking about that all the time? It's like you need to put yourself first. And I think it's, yeah, I don't know about you, but for me, it was very much about like saying, you know, if a friend's going through, like if you, yeah, when you have limited time and only so many like dinner slots, for instance, Mm. really prioritizing who those are going to go to. And yeah, Yeah. I think gradually people kind of get the message. I mean, you can be, you can be friendly, keep being friendly, but just not like, you know, join to the hip anymore. But I think it does come back to what you ask yourself every time something like that comes up. And I think once you ask yourself, is this, A, is this going to serve me? B, is this going to serve them? C, how much energy do I really have to give that given A, B, C, D, E, F, G, things I have to do? Yeah, it helps you to put yourself yeah. first. I don't know if that's... Does that answer, I don't know if that really helps at all. But I'm, I'm sort of always considering, okay, what kind of people do I want to be around? What kind of energy do I want that to be? What kind of conversations do I want to be having? And if... I have a friend and that's just not happening, then it's just not the right time for that now. I think more than breakup takes, it's about saying no. So it's about prioritising your time, your dinners, your social time, your alone time. Yeah, so I've just, I just yeah. started saying no more and more and more. And then if a friend tries to engage me about why haven't we seen each other, then, then I can be honest. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like breakup takes are quite unnecessary <laughs> with friends. Thanks for asking a question. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else have a question about... Sex, living in a fat body. No. I know there are a lot of younger people around. I wish my sister was here. Because she turned to me recently and she she wants to study to be a nutritionist. And she's like, no, no, I'm not losing, I'm not losing weight to look good. I just don't want to be that fat nutritionist. And I went, do, oh. you, do you know how amazing <laughs> it would have been for me to have a nutritionist or dietitian that wasn't skinny? So that I knew that there could be health at every size. How do you navigate that conversation with your sister after she says something like that to you? I guess I usually ask her, like, what, why, do you think, why do you think you can't be chubby or fat and be a nutritionist? Like, do you think healthy looks a certain way? Because that's another big thing. Health at every size is a big movement. And, you know, she's like, my sister's like a size 10. But in, you know, in Chinese or Asian standards, she's fat compared to her friends. And she's like, oh, I don't want a bum. I don't, I've got a bum, yeah, I don't like it. And I was, you know, because this is the thing, we pry, we do price certain bodies, but I mean, a lot of you guys, I don't know about wherever you are at with your body, but I have so many friends who are like size six or like skinny, and they're not happy with their body either. There's always something you're going to have to fix. So we mm. have this great myth that even if we lost all this weight, we would be happy, but it's a complete lie. Because, yeah, if not, we wouldn't have... Delusion! Okay. Yeah, yeah. We, wouldn't, we wouldn't have, you know, bulimia, anorexia. So trying to feel good in my body. I know I've said that five times Nice. No, so that's it's a, very a good warm. message. I okay, okay. Um, I think that is us then. Amazing. Oh, yeah.
Thanks for listening and a huge thanks to Gwen and Alyssa from Yoke and to those who came and hung with us at Yoke Fest. See you next time.